Chapter Nine of The Wind by Dorothy Scarborough. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Avai in September two thousand twenty one. Chapter Nine. It seemed impossible to Letty to meet the demands of reality, to adjust herself to the world in which she found herself, as if a stranger should obstinately refuse or be unable to learn the language of the country he had been exiled to or to adapt himself to the customs of the place the whole situation was so overpoweringly strange and displeasing that she was bewildered thrown back upon herself her body ate and slept and walked around in the performance of household tasks but it was not she herself where was she she often asked herself she could not find the answer it seemed to her that an abyss of time as well as of space separated her from her old life yet in her dreams she crossed back to it and in her waking thoughts she bridged the chasm sometimes involuntarily sometimes by urging her reluctant will she crossed off each day on her calendar not as a prisoner eager for the visioned end of his captivity for what end could come to hers not as one that looked forward to the coming of a certain joy what could the future hold for her but with a dull inertness that must occupy itself in some way her calendar told her it was well on in april it would be april in virginia too she saw the woods all softly green with their varying shades the dark steadfast tones of the cedars and pine trees that even in winter had held out immutable hope of spring the young tenderness of leaf on countless others the willows beside the streams the shimmering bodies of the birches the rich glow of copper beeches the dogwood would be white on the hillsides with now and then the rarer pink beside it the flowering of the dogwood had always been to her the efflorescence of spring and youth and joy the dogwood was blossoming in virginia but should she ever see it again the wild flowers would be coming on now the violets the wood pansies the wild azaleas with their delicate colors and many another flower she had loved and looked for each spring did the dead feel as she did a torturing homesickness to be back among the scenes and people one had always known one day letty said to lige as they sat in enforced idleness looking out of the window how queer it seems to think that it's april with no grass no trees no flowers nor anything that's right honey it does he agreed shoving his hands deep in his pockets but you mustn't think it's always like this out here we haven't got no flowers now on account of the drought you know and the sandstorms do you have them other springs she asked listlessly oh sure the prettiest you ever saw why this time in ordinary years the plains would be like one great flower bed the whole prairies is diked out with them looks like you was riding over a rainbow as you lope along and sweet my how they do smell 
he gave a reminiscent whiff. Tell me about them. She leaned her head on her hand and gazed out across the stretch of sand, a dead, greyish-yellow in the sunlight. Mm, we got all sorts of flowers. I ain't no botanist, and I can't tell you about the right entitlements for em. But if you could see em, maybe you'd know the names to call em by. Women knows more about such things than men. There's bare grass, of course. You've seen it about. It's got sharp pointed leaves and has spikes of bloom standin' up tall and creamy white. Like the yucca, or what some folks call Spanish dagger, on account of its sword spikes. You can see em plants scattered here and there, but they ain't nothing to look at till they bloom. And what else? Oh, there's all sorts of cactus, some that grows up tall and straight, and some that's sprangly. There's one they call the pincushion, because it's like a little round squatty pincushion setting on the ground, full of pins. They got purty blooms, red and yellow. Then there's the prickly pear, with its flat leaves and its yellow blooms. But you got to watch out that you don't touch it, account of the stickers. Even the flowers here on the plains seemed to hold menace. Do you reckon there'll be any flowers next spring, Lige? Oh, sure, he promised grandiosely. And I bet you a steer you'll say they got Virginia beat all hollow. We got some here, I guess you never heard of up there. What would they be? Well, <clears throat> he cleared his throat to meet her challenge. There's tumbleweed, for instance. When it's dry, it goes tumbling across the plains like a little ghost of a plant. In spring, it has goldy blossoms that grow in clusters, something like wisteria. Then there's the wild onion. That don't sound pretty, but I've heard Yankees say it was considerable like the trailing arbutus that they set a lot of store by. It must be pretty, she cried, her eyes brightening at the thought. Then we got buttercups and all sorts of daisies, yellow and red and blue. I reckon they're all daisies. Then there's something that looks like larkspurs I saw in my grandma's garden in East Texas. Wild larkspur, I guess it is. There's something like honeysuckle, too, pink and white. And there's horsemint, tall and sorta pinkish lavender, in stalks-like. Oh, there must be hundreds of flowers I don't know the names to call them by. There's a plant that runs along the ground that has a strong yellow bloom and smells like musk. I disremember the name if I ever knowed it. I'll just shut my eyes and see next spring, she said softly. I'm sorry I'm such a ignorant galoot as not to know the names. But I'll ask everybody I see and learn em for you before they bloom again. That'll be nice, Lige. She managed a smile for him. But, honest, you never saw anything prettier than these plains in the spring. Everything comes green and blooms all at once, as if it knowed that wouldn't be long before the hot winds burned it up. The ground is like a gay-coloured quilt, with all sorts of flowers smiling up at you. Makes you forget the cussed hard times of the winter, and the northers, and the sandstorms, and everything you've been through. Makes you glad you're a cow-puncher to be riding the range when you have all that to look at. 
it won't be such a terrible long time till next spring will it lige his big-mouthed smile was cheerful sure not just a matter of a year now springs come round pretty regularly every year guess you think it slipped a cog this time but it'll make it up to you next year you see if it don't you wait it seemed incredible that spring's flowered footstep could ever touch that dead expanse of sand that her eyes looked at but letty told herself that miracles had happened in bible times and maybe they would again she would wait with what patience she could muster it was hard to wait when one was young especially when the cloaked and hooded years held out no certain promise of relief youth lasted such a little time at best letty felt as she sometimes imagined a corpse might feel dead but quiveringly alive to expectancy dead to delight but alive to pain she went about her daily tasks passive but rebellious at once relaxed and tense six months before she had never known the alphabet of pain and now it seemed to her that she had gone through all its possible changes and combinations but surely life had done its worst to her and any change would mean an easement the wind which seemed all-powerful perhaps was a weakling if one only knew the magic word or gesture to compel it to submission and retreat she thought of all the folk tales she had ever heard the lore of the old volumes in her father's library that she had read but half comprehendingly perhaps if she thought hard enough she could divine the abacadabra that controlled the wind could hit upon the mystic waving of hands that could overawe it the cabalistic command that could send it forever from her words and gestures were magical things that had more power than one could know and human thoughts were terrible in their might what if the warning that grandma powers had given her were right that one mustn't remind god of the wind maybe by just thinking about it she brought it on herself maybe by thinking hard the other way she could ward it off who knew the awesome might of human will who knew the force of the wind's will so she consciously practised gestures that might by chance reveal themselves as mystic that might disclose to her the hidden secret of command over the wind she whispered to herself phrases that came into her thoughts it might be runic rhymes that could bind the wind by a spell some day out of the unknown or forgotten lore would come to her the inspiration that would save her who hath gathered the winds in his fists in her fear she would clench her fists as if to overmaster the wind as her eyes were rested and soothed by the mirages which the desert plain at times held shimmeringly before her gaze so her spirit was given an unreal gratification by the mental mirages which she called up for herself pleasure pictures that she drew out of the past scenes of beauty and joy in which she moved she recognized dimly that this was a false pleasure which made the pain of the present more acute when she saw them fade as fade they must before the harsh realities of her present 
but she could not resist. It was as if she administered some drug to her soul, by which she could at will ignore the ugly facts of her existence, and project herself into a life that was not altogether of the past, but of a happy past blended with a future wherein all would be miraculously well with her. Her sense of truth made her scorn herself for those subterfuges, but she writhed away from a facing of facts. When Lige was not in the house to overhear, she held long dialogues with persons imagined or actual, wherein she dramatized her dreams of ease and joy. These fantasies sometimes carried over into her dreams at night, changed, intensified, distorted, so that now and then she would awake from the shock of finding herself travelling strange routes unknown to her conscious thoughts. Fear would startle her into wakefulness, so that she would tremble, baffled and perplexed. One day, toward the end of April, when Lige was out on the range, Letty lay down to sleep a while in the afternoon. She might as well sleep, she told herself, since there was nothing else to do, no book to read, no magazine, no piano to keep her company as at home in Virginia. How long she had lain there she did not know, when she was awakened by a knocking on the door. She sprang up hastily, straightened the tumbled covers on the bed, smoothed her hair with nervous hands, and went to open the door. Who could it be? Some cowboy, probably, stopping on his way to town. A tall figure stood there. The broad-brimmed Stetson hat shaded the man's face, so that for an instant she did not recognize him. And then a shock that was half pain, half pleasure, a wild leap of the pulse, a tremor of the body told her who it was. Her companion of the train trip, Wirt Roddy, stood before her. Her eyes, wide open, stared at him, as if not believing their vision. Her lips were glued together so that she couldn't speak, and a sudden impulse to run away swiftly impelled her. Ah, this is not what I'd call a hearty welcome. His voice jeered lightly at her, while his eyes held a challenge, half humorous, half stern. Aren't you glad to see me? Yes, yes. She forced her tongue to speak, though it seemed to clatter in her mouth. Will you come in? Sure. I was surprised at seeing anyone. We have so few visitors, she said in apology for her discomfiture. Lige is off on the range. He stretched out his hand to take hers, though she had not offered to shake hands with him, because hers were so cold and trembling. But there was no escape without seeming rude. Will you have a seat? She pushed forward one of the old ladder-backed chairs with its cowhide bottom. He sat down and looked at her a moment in silence, caressing his black moustache thoughtfully. And so you're married, he mentioned at last. Yes. What comments was one expected to make about one's marriage? I was surprised to hear it. Kind of sudden, wasn't it? Yes. 
Life is sudden, I found out lately. I was surprised myself. Her tone tried to be calm and casual. His eyes roved over the bare, crude room, taking in each detail of its shabbiness. She resented his appraisal of it, but no appropriate way of showing it occurred to her at the moment. This man had the knack of making her feel that he was well aware of his superiority, and rather expected everyone else to be equally awake to it. He shot a long, keen look at her from half-closed eyes that looked thoughtful, but full of tricky impulse, too. I didn't know you were thinking about marrying. No, she said curtly, angry that a little pulse in her throat should throb so, afraid that he would notice it. No, came his antiphonal response, grave and unhumorous. I didn't know any of these fellows out here would suit you. Did you know anything of me? She turned her palms outward in a gesture of negation, of defense. Ah, pretty much. He leaned his elbow on the table and crossed his long legs comfortably. And how? She shot at him. Plenty of ways, he answered easily, as if insouciantly aware of and yet ignoring her resentment. I own a ranch out here, as I told you, and I come out this way pretty regular. So it had been, not once but many times, that he had been in the section and had not come to see her. Anger surged within her. He hadn't come when she needed help, when he might have shown her a way out of her impossible situation. What right had he to come now, when it was too late to do any good? Oh, she hated him. She seemed to live over again in concentrated bitterness all that she had suffered since she saw this man first, all the agony and bewilderment he might have saved her from if he had come to see her as he promised. To promise so lightly, and then forget. I didn't know you were interested in what happened to me. I thought you had forgotten, she said coldly. Not by a long shot. I've known everything you've done, everywhere you've gone since I saw you. I could most tell you every fellow you danced with that night at the cowboy ball. Surprise widened her eyes. You weren't there. No, I wasn't there. He gave no elaboration to his answer to satisfy her curiosity. She told herself that she wouldn't ask, but she did. Why didn't you come then, if you were so close? A guarded look came into his dark eyes. I wanted to, but I reckoned I'd better not. What could he mean by that? Perhaps he had been afraid that she would ask some favor of him, impose on his casual politeness of the train trip. "'And how do you like the West?' he asked with grim jocoseness. She gave a quick turn of her palms upward, as if to say, "'How can you ask? What answer but one is there?' "'And the wind?' he jeered softly. She shuddered involuntarily. "'I hate it!' she jerked. Then instantly she caught her lip between her teeth. 
she hadn't meant to betray herself to give him the satisfaction of knowing he had been right the pleasure of saying i told you so i did tell you so didn't i he mocked as if reading her thoughts he studied her face that she half turned from him in annoyance your skin is still soft and white but not so much so as it was the last time i saw you your cheeks aren't quite so pink as they used to be though they are blushing now that i call attention to them your hair isn't quite so yellow and shiny as that other day looks like it has faded a little no she flared up till her cheeks were bright enough to refute his charges you've got no call to say such things to me he went on as if she had not spoken and your eyes aren't so blue and clear look like they've been having tears as well as sand in them no they haven't she lied hotly just the wind and sand well i reckon that's about enough anyhow he conceded gravely she looked past him out through the window maybe lige would be coming home soon she gave no answer to the man beside her why didn't he go why had he ever come just to tease and torment her if he knew all that she had to bear he wouldn't be so mocking he must be a cruel man again her old throbbing fear of him arose the fear that she had felt on the train without being able to analyze but that had disappeared as memory glossed over the happenings of that day again he ignored her disdain her timorous tremors he began to hum softly to himself again as that day on the train and yes it was the same tune that mournful tune but they buried him there on the lone prairie where the buzzards wait and the winds blow free in a narrow grave just six by three they buried him there on the lone prairie she seemed to see a desolate plain stretching out before her a vast waste of sand and of years with a solitary mound in the wilderness would it be her fate to live here till she died and be buried on this desolate plain her soul shuddered away from the picture but they buried him there on the lone prairie his song gave answer to her protest stop she shrilled almost hysterically i i don't like that song it isn't cheerful he conceded but then life isn't so damned cheerful i found anyhow why make it worse than for yourself or for anybody else she challenged his eyes narrowed as they looked at her reflectively i often wonder some devil within me drives me on i guess she stared at his brooding face his languorous melancholy eyes that looked out with longing and with sad bitter mockery and does nothing drive you the other way she asked almost in a whisper the mockery diminished and the sadness increased yes yes there are angels too but they mostly have flaming swords to bar me from what i once had or 
might have had and lost his face softened curiously grew gentler younger under her gaze as if unknown to himself some gracious touch had erased the cynicism the hardness the unworthiness and had shown for an instant the man he might have been she was not afraid of this man nor did she hate him we generally keep the things we really want don't we or do we she asked simply he shook his head no no not always sometimes we give a thing up because we are cowards or set in our selfishness or maybe for conscience sake because we know we're not fit to take care of it right there's a lot of reasons if you look for them she looked for the reason which had kept him from coming to see her when he was so close but she could not find it suddenly his face cleared the moroseness disappeared and a boyish smile came out i brought you a present he said gaily a present for me yes he reached for the new target rifle he had laid on the table when he came into the room and held it out to her she drew back bewildered but i don't know how to use a gun i never touched one in my life she protested but it was nice of you to think of me and thank you just the same Lige will teach you how to shoot all the girls out here have rifles and go hunting just like the men you ought to have a little gun i couldn't bear to kill anything if i saw a rabbit or a squirrel i had shot or a little bird fluttering round with a broken wing i'd cry my eyes out i think it's cruel to shoot things it's likely you eat game that other folks shoot he mocked her lightly but that's different he smiled cajolingly as at a foolish child and there are other things to shoot rattlesnakes and coyotes for instance you can't say you love them somebody else will have to do the killing she said her hands stubbornly behind her refusing to touch the toy gun he laughed looked about him and before she knew what he was doing he had put it up on the wall beside the crossed rifles lige had there that brought her a sudden memory of her husband lige mightn't like me to take it anyway she said dubiously he laughed lightly call it a wedding present nobody ever refuses a wedding present for that would be an insult she flushed and her skin felt prickly all over you're making fun of me he sobered at once no truly he affirmed she writhed under the sense of her inadequacy to deal with the situation properly if only she were older and had more poise she could deftly put this man in his place could dismiss him at once if she liked could banish him definitely he must go before lige came in because lige wouldn't understand his being there but how could she tell him this cool stranger that her husband might be jealous of his presence wouldn't he laugh at her all the more silently exultingly 
he stroked his black silky moustache and looked as if he read her thoughts lige my my husband will be here soon she stammered he and sourdough are looking out after some steers that so but he made no movement to leave she stirred nervously longing for him to go and yet and yet the room would seem duller and lonelier than ever when he had gone for of course he would never come back why had he come this time her perplexed eyes tried to plumb his ironic smile but in vain could he hear the muffled pounding of her heart could he see the flutter of the frightened pulse in her throat or note the trembling of her body perhaps he saw and was gloating over her weakness so tranced with excitement over the thought was she so thralled with the spell of those tragical humorous eyes that she failed to hear the hoof-beats of horses outside her eyes fixed on the man beside her her cheeks flushed her lips parted her slight frame trembling so she stood one hand over her wildly beating heart when the door was flung open and lige entered with sourdough behind him she started back with an exclamation and then tried to recover her composure lige this is mr wert roddy that came up on the train with me you remember yes i remember how do you do she presented sourdough to him but he showed no trace of his usual blithe humour or cordiality contrary to his characteristic heartiness he failed to extend a hand of greeting to the stranger but the guest did not appear to notice unless a flicker of black eyelashes might be so interpreted have a chair lige said i can't stay long was the answer i'm on my way to town I aim to spend the night at Bev's and get an early start. But he dropped back into his chair and lighted his pipe, looking more at home than either of the other two men. Sourdough leaned against the door casing, his arms crossed over his chest, and eyed the visitor coolly. He held his unlighted pipe in his mouth. Light crossed the room to another chair, his spurs clattering as he walked. How you makin' out at your ranch? he asked the visitor politely. Pretty poorly. I shipped most of my cattle before the worst hit me. I had a hunch that there was going to be a drop in cattle prices, and I kind of felt this drought was going to last longer than we thought. So I got from under the best I could. But the critters I kept are looking bad. It would cost such a hell of a lot to haul feed for them, that there's no profit in doing that you said it was lige's gloomy rejoinder i dunno know how us little ranchers is going to hold out if this keeps up it's the worst dry spell i ever saw and i've been living in this section all my life said sourdough the sun stalks across the sky as impudent as if he was thumbing his nose at you clouds don't mean nothing no more when you see em but they are beautiful anyhow put in letty timidly when my eyes get tired of looking at the sand i look up at the sky to rest them 
I never saw such wonderful colours as there are here some days. Yes, the altitude and the clear atmosphere make you see things better than anywhere else, said Word Roddy. The sunsets and sunrises here are some of the prettiest shows on earth, I reckon. She thought of the sunset they had witnessed together on the train, how long ago, and of his telling her to watch a sunrise some day and think of him. How often had she done that? It was as if he had put his signature on the sky at sunrise and sunset, had placed his mark, his brand, indelibly on her memory at such hours. But this was foolish and she must forget, for wasn't she married now? Sourdough removed his pipe from his mouth and gazed reflectively into his bowl. Old-timers hereabouts say that the clouds dyke themselves out purtiest in dry weather, so I ain't glad to see em gay colours now. They spell scarcier rain. But if you've got to take the hardships, why not have the beauty along with it? argued Letty to make conversation. I don't calculate them starving cow-critters take much comfort out of rainbows and cloud-pretties now, he said grimly. Leastways, they haven't said nothing to me about em, if they have, and they talk a-plenty to me about the drought as I ride by em. There's no counting on what cattle or women will find to complain of, commented the visitor. Letty gave him a quick look. If women complain more than men do... Maybe it's because they have the men to complain of, she retorted with sudden spirit. Lige gave a darting glance of surprise. Oh, I'm not talking about me, she said to reassure him, but women in general have a pretty hard time. Sourdough maintained a stoic calm, his pipe held bias in his mouth, his teeth clenching down on it. The stranger was the only one of the group that appeared to be really at ease. Lige, usually so kindly, so hospitable, seemed stiffened into a frozen formality that was as strange to him as if he had put on an alien garb. Sourdough's bantering tongue, that had usually a friendly jibe for everyone he met, man or woman, friend or stranger, now was uncommunicative. Letty saw a new being in him, a man on guard, defensively hostile. But against what? She glanced at her husband and his partner furtively, fearful, feeling a queer sense of guilt, as if she had done or thought something that had wounded them. Then she told herself with reassuring pride that Lige and Sourdough could never be angry or offended with her, those two men that loved her loyally in their rough way. They would protect her from any danger that threatened her, using fists or pistols according to the need. They would lay down their lives to defend her, if that was necessary, she knew. What was it Sourdough had said on the night the two had proposed to her? Either of us lick a million wildcats to protect you. And Lige said, why, we'd rope and bulldog old Nick hisself if he so much as batted an eye-winker to let on he was thinking o' hurting you. On the night of the storm he had said, I won't let nothing hurt you. And they wouldn't, if they could help it. 
a silence fell upon the group a clamorous silence that seemed filled with magnetic menace in it seemed to be gathered up all threatening sounds imaginable of angry voices violent winds the crack of pistol shots to letty's dramatic imagination the room was tense with struggle ravaged by desperate emotions involuntarily she sat on the edge of her chair her fingers clenched tight word roddy sat nonchalantly smoking his pipe and saying no word yet a psychic instinct told her that he read her thoughts that he was pleased by her tumult gratified by the hubbub in her heart that he was feeling his superiority over these two cowpunchers beside him what if he and lige should ever come to conflict over anything which would be the stronger man the better fighter yet it would be two against one for sourdough would side with his partner no matter what the issue was and something told her that sourdough if once thoroughly roused would be as quick to shoot as he was to laugh she shivered as if a norther had suddenly blown its icy breath upon her then a mist seemed to clear away from before her eyes and she saw the room in another light the situation in another aspect here was merely a transient stranger whom she had met once on the train who had stopped for a few minutes on his way to town that was but simple and natural for didn't other cattlemen do the same soon he would be gone and life would go on as before she had been light-headed with nervousness and had imagined foolish things her eyes asked him to go without knowing that they did so she felt a thrill of superstitious alarm at seeing him instantly respond to her wish what power did he have to read her secret thoughts did he feel regret over having teased and disturbed her he was considerate after all and she had been silly to feel afraid of him she did not offer to shake hands with him in parting since to do so might be to call attention to the failure of the men to do so her eyes apologized for the slight for their remissness and his lashes flickered understandingly it was uncanny how he could tell what she was thinking and feeling when he said good-bye and moved toward the door she felt an indescribable pang of regret was everything interesting to go out of her life to leave only the dull days the lonely monotony he sprang into his saddle and waved a hand back at her her hand fluttered in answer and then she watched him gallop down the sand in the direction of town her gaze followed him until her eyes ached till presently the speck that had been rider and horse was out of sight and there was nothing to look at but a stretch of yellow sand with the sun beginning to sink towards the west as she turned back to the room she saw that the eyes of the two men were fixed on her eyes far-seeing but inscrutable she realized anew that the eyes of plainsmen have a far look in them an expression that comes only to those whose vision is used to long distances to vast reaches of desert or sea that men whose gaze is habitually cut off by trees or houses never come to have 
that far look had vision in it and was not simple to read had she betrayed her nervousness was she too easy to read could these men too as well as the stranger see with clairvoyant eyes into her soul Wert roddy had known her thoughts effortlessly could lige and sourdough do the same she flushed and tingled and shrank back shamed and frightened as if her naked body were exposed to their gaze yet after all what had she done she asked herself hotly lige glanced at the wall where the guns were crossed whose target rifle is that he asked it's mine mr roddy brought it to me she stammered oh why had the man persisted in leaving it when she hadn't wanted he cleared his throat humph how come him to do that i told him i didn't want it she hastened to exculpate herself i told him i didn't know how to shoot and didn't care to learn but he said it was a wedding present and so he put it up there with the others lige turned away and said nothing sourdough spoke up dryly if you was to ask me i'd say he had his nerve but then nobody had asked him she thought angrily why did he have to thrust himself into hers and lige's affairs i don't reckon there's any harm done she said with elaborate casualness me and lige can make out to keep you supplied with game enough i reckon said sourdough uncompromisingly she laughed shortly <laughs> there's not much left round here for anybody to shoot looks like the birds and the rabbits have been killed by the drought or have gone somewheres else where they can find green things growing they'll come back soon as it rains said lige these prairies will be working alive with life jack-rabbits molly cottontails ground squirrels and all sorts of things and birds that near about bust their throats a-singing the tension at her heart released so lige wasn't angry with her after all perhaps he would be if he knew all her unhappy thoughts but she would try to keep them to herself he had enough to bother him with the drought and losing so many of his cattle sourdough rose to go i don't like that hombre he said his hand on the doorknob he turned to letty is he coming back again she turned red with confusion and anger how do i know sourdough she flashed i didn't know he was coming this time i didn't ask him his plans sourdough wiped his mouth with his hand he's one white man i don't cotton to he's too doggone stuck on himself and he gives me a queasy feeling like a rattler does tears of anger rose in her eyes i think you're hard to say such things sourdough like you was blaming me for something mr roddy was kind to me on the train and i was glad to see him stop by it's plenty lonesome for me with you and lige gone most of the time her voice broke on a sob lige laid a hand on letty's arm and his gaze rebuked his partner with his wisdom he said no word
Letty trembled. Was she to bring hard feeling between her husband and his best friend, these two that had meant everything to each other before she came? End of chapter 9